This is Talk of the Town on News Talk 1290 CJBK, where interesting people talk and London listens. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer, our guest. Gentlemen, welcome to the program again. Hello. Morning, Jeff. Here. This is Left Train Center. It's our weekly um, exploration of political philosophy. How's that? That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty big time. That's what we've been doing. Makes us sound like we know what we're talking about. Uh, we do regularly get together, the three of us, to discuss uh, issues uh, and, 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 and try to put them, not necessarily put them in perspective, we just sort of bring to bear on them some different, differing perspectives. And uh, sometimes we agree and sometimes we don't. And that's what makes it interesting. Uh, speaking of interesting, there was an article today in the Free Press. Um, written by a free press a copy editor by the name of uh, 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 Mr. Riley. I forget his first name. I'm sorry about that. What's Peter. Peter. Peter Riley, who's a copy editor, senior copy editor at Free Press. Very interesting and provocative article, I thought. I, I read it with a great deal of interest because it's it's headlined, Searching for a Fairer Way, and it's subheaded, Capitalism Works Fine for the Wealthy and Powerful, but What About the Needy? He goes on to say some very interesting things in here. He talks about the uh, um, Mr. Martin's uh, um, cutting corporate taxes. He raises that issue and said people should be paying more attention to that, that Paul Martin has been a great pal to the corporations, and he, he's not sure that's a good idea. I don't want to put words in his mouth, and I haven't got time to read the whole thing. But essentially, he, he, he makes some points here. He notes, for example, that uh, the top 20% of Canadians own 94% of the equity in Canadian businesses. Uh, so the the other eighty percent own six percent. He's a little concerned about that. Um, he talks about capitalism as a system and said it's and I'm quoting here. Its paramount principle is that if you have the money, capital, you have the right to sit back and rake in more money, simply as a reward for being rich in the first place. And he says also. But it works as an economic system. We depend on it. And there's no better system I know of. So he's not calling for the destruction of capitalism. He's simply saying this is the best we figured out, but can we figure out something better than that? So because both of my guests are very involved in this, the issue of the way society works, particularly on from an economic point of view, I thought this would be a, an interesting question to ask them today. You've both read this article, and Jeff, I'll, I'll start with you. What's your sort of overall take on, on Mr. Riley's premise here, that capitalism is a system that works well, but could be made to work a lot better? Well, I think that that's, that's certainly correct, and I think that uh, there's a quote in there from Winston Churchill about uh, democracy as being the worst of all systems, or the worst system imaginable except for all the others, and uh, certainly I think that is true of capitalism as well, that when you compare it to experiments that, that uh, we've had throughout throughout civilization really you know we've had uh, we've had uh, kings you know we've had aristocracies we've had uh, socialist states we've tried communism uh, of all those uh, systems they've come and gone and the one that has endured is uh, a free enterprise system uh, one based on the private ownership of capital uh, having said that uh, we've also found that there are um, there are problems with with not with letting it run roughshod it's like having a game uh, of baseball or, or soccer without any rules you, it doesn't doesn't play so well you have to have some rules that we've discovered over time uh, so for instance we've discovered that uh, every so often somebody has to come in and, and uh, level the playing field a bit that we ran into the uh, monopolies of the late 1800s for instance where you know it was pretty evident that uh, there were a lot of bad things going on I was reading a book on the weekend about uh, American entrepreneurialism in, in the 1800s and uh, you know the way that people manipulated stock markets 
markets and the way that they uh, drove competitors out of business and then jacked prices way up. They were kind of asking for someone to do something about it. And and the government uh, came in and broke up some trusts and uh, and said, look, you know, we, we want to keep everybody on a relatively level playing field here. So I think that uh, that is one example of, of an area where a pure, free, uh, absolutely unfettered capitalism has not been seen to be the best thing. The other side of it, of course, has been the problem of what do you do with the losers in the system? Uh, Bob, you've also read the article. What did you make of it? Um, it doesn't say much to me. What Jeff just said says a lot to me. And it typifies the average person's utter, utter misunderstanding of capitalism. It's a system without any rules. I just sit here, and I'm glad I don't have a gun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I am too. Capitalism's the only Sounds system like that cow. has rules. The rules of the rule of law, the rule of contract, and a major rule that says government may not be coercive in an economy. Government may not involve itself in such a way as to force you to make decisions against your better judgment economically. Mm -hmm. That's what the rule of capitalism is. It's a rule, Jeff. It's a rule. Mm -hmm. Well, the question is who enforces it. The government. Exactly. And that's why there is government and capitalism. Government, capitalist government. I mean, that, that's, you know, and the idea that it only works for the wealthy and powerful. You're telling me there's no wealthy and powerful people in the Soviet and the old Soviet Union in any socialist country? Yeah, but that's a bit of a red herring. Now. Well, why? Well, because... How come it's not working for them? I would say socialism's working for them. Well, there's, uh, we, no, okay, nobody's disputing that. We're not discussing socialism. We're talking about capitalism. Well, the, the, reali the reality is. is, and I think his numbers are correct, the reality is that a tiny percentage of people own the great majority of, of things that are to be owned. Because a tiny percentage of people do anything. Period. Come on. If I, if I create wealth, it's mine. It's not yours. That's the rule of capitalism. Mm -hmm. If you create wealth, it's yours. It's not mine. And when, when the, you know, searching for a fairer way, that's, that's the socialist dogma. You know, mm -hmm. fair. Fair means unjust. It means, oh, you earned, you know, you earned a lot of money. You got more than I have. Well, I deserve some. Well, we have a difference. Here. We have a difference fair. in our society today, and it was it was brought home to me last week. I was watching the TV show Sharp, which is set in the Napoleonic times, and it's a military show. But the Napoleonic Wars are in a bit of a hiatus here in this particular episode, and and he's sent to rural England to enforce the will of the local uh, petty bourgeoisie landowner, who is uh, building new textile mills and so on and so on, and. Uh, making fortunes and living a lavish life while the people that work for him are quite literally starving and he's cutting their wages back because we've all got to pull together lads times are tough and he goes back to his mammoth estate and huge mansion and leaves them to starve mm -hmm. Charles now, Dickens well that's the Charles Dickens but, theme well, the, it's the, false it's not false it's right. absolutely true uh, it did know, happen you know, sure. no, it's the, out the of context in Let's Ireland that was way. artificially caused you cannot compare conditions two centuries ago no but the point I was going to make before you interrupted compare me compare them to the century no, before no, the point was that we have made a lot of progress from then to now, and we have not made that progress because of the beneficence of the people who are on the top of the pile. We've made that progress because the people together, through their governments, rightly or wrongly, effectively or ineffectively, have put some constraints on that kind of runaway capitalism. Exactly. No, opposite. They got capitalism for themselves. The people acquired the right to private property, which was not allowed to them. They were serfs before. They worked for other people. They were indentured. That's not capitalism. Good grief. That's the opposite. That's what socialist countries work on. Capitalism, when they got what they got, was their freedom. 
And all of a sudden, they said, hey, we can make our own money, and nobody can take it away. That's what the big change was. So well, that, I think that was the that American was experiment. The, the, United, the United States, I think a large a large part of their success was to move away from an aristocratic form of Absolutely. government. Absolutely. With Absolutely. the big landholders. The United Thank States you. came along, and they did have that private ownership. A concern that I, that I have, though, as far as uh, where we head, though, is that it, it's only natural for people who are powerful to use the powerful in the best interests of themselves and their families. Yes, and, their and that friends. means they run right to government, and that's where you'll find uh, well, them. But that's the question all the is, problems you know, How do we avoid a, a system of private ownership and uh, and enterprise becoming again an aristocracy? How do we by, keep the powerful from by not allowing it to lobby government? In fact, the first monopoly in the United States was the American Railroad. But it wasn't a business monopoly, it was a government monopoly. It was given to them by the government. And the government did it to solve the problem of competing railroads. Oh my goodness, it cost twice as much to go on the line between Boston and Chicago or something than it cost to go another way. And all of that was the big, you know, egalitarianism started coming in. Well, but nobody Didn't, forced forced Jay Cook and all those guys to uh, to get into those monopolies. That They certainly worked hard at it to do it themselves. Well, once, so, once the government forces itself upon, as a regulatory agency, to any sector of the industry, that sector of the industry will take it over. It can't be otherwise. Well, no, it's the opposite. And in fact, for instance, if you didn't have any kind of regulation at all, it would make sense that if you're the big fish, you're just going to try and become the bigger and bigger fish till you're the only fish. Well, what kind of regulation are you talking about, Jeff? Well, we're, not, we're, talking we're talking about the rules of the game and how they're enforced by economic government. Economic rules. Not, not, yeah. We're not saying anyone can break the law. We're not saying anyone can kill anybody. Those are criminal issues. But, and, and, so, and, so all we're saying is that if you earn your money, you keep it. If you buy your property honestly from someone else, you keep it. But it is a funny thing, though, in the sense that uh, the object of most business people is to increase market share. You know, they're trying to become more successful, more profitable, get larger. That's the, op that's the object of every person who works, and is yet, to try and get more for working less. That's I know. That's what and, I try to we, do every we day. Encourage that. <laughs> we encourage that to an extent, and then at some point we say, oh, you're too big. Nope, that's not good for but is there the any, economy. Is, yes, and that's that's a totally false assumption. But is there is there is there any room for and I, and I don't want to I don't want you to paint this in a, in a socialist with a socialist brush because it's going to sound like it is. But I don't mean it this way. Mm -hmm. Is there any way for any any room for a larger social conscience in business? And I will use an example of my father who worked for a company for thirty seven years. And and was rudely booted out when they shut the company down. They shut the company down, according to my research, and which I did later to take a look at what had happened here because I was intrigued by this. Largely through, largely through managerial incompetence and union militantism, and the two of them sort of bashed heads and eventually drove the company out of business and put hundreds of guys like my dad on the street with very little left in their pockets. Now, I look at that example and I say, okay, well, capitalism, uh, fine, it worked in the system here. And the well, management first of all, a union that can force itself on a company is not capitalistic, that's socialistic. Okay. Uh, yeah, but management made some big errors too. That I mean, may they, be, they, they, but, you but can't. Your job as an employee, if you see the people above you screwing up, leave the company. That's that's your responsibility. You didn't sign on the on the dotted line. Uh, my my employer will be uh, have a social conscience for my welfare. Uh, I'm sorry, but when an employer hires somebody, he's not their parent, and that's exactly what you're asking. You want a mommy and a daddy, and if it's not the government, it's got no, to be I'm not. I'm, I'm asking. I'm asking if there's a way to do this. If, if there is a way to yeah, to do sign it. a contract. If you want it, put it in the contract. If the employer signs it, you got what you want. And if you won't sign it, go somewhere else. It's well, we certainly found throughout, throughout history that a reason that unions have, have arisen is that uh, if you have a large, powerful uh, bargaining uh, entity on one side and a bunch of 
totally disorganized, powerless ones on the other side, you don't end up with an, with a bargain that approximates the value of the labor that's being provided. So, so naturally, those folks have joined together just as companies have joined together, like OPEC, for instance, uh, the oil people, because you find that it's like the kindergarten rule. If you if you uh, need to, 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 to be more powerful, you get your buddies together to help you. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and that's, that's, I think, a healthy part of capitalism, by the way. Samuel Gompers? Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, cigar guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, one of the early, early labor organizers, union yeah. labor organizers. And he made some very fascinating points. Uh, number one, he did not like unions lobbying government for all this legislation because he said that would make the unions useless because that was sort of a, you know, mm-hmm. they were shooting ourselves in our foot. But however, on a certain level, the unions had a very valid point because government wasn't being capitalistic. It was not protecting, uh, you know, certain basic rights of workers, particularly when it related to issues of safety and things like that, particularly also when it was known that these conditions exist. It's a whole other thing if nobody knows, mm-hmm. for example, that asbestos is making somebody sick until you discover it. Yeah. I, I just cannot in my good conscience hold anyone responsible for that before the knowledge is even known. You know, that's just ir- irrational. But, um, Basically, on that level, there there was a point, but that was the government's job. And once the government did it, that was a, a proper function, you know, just to protect your basic rights and safety. But in terms of wages and things like that, we've got to remember that what a, a union's enemy is not management. It's labor. The labor of other people who aren't in the union. And that's who they lobby against. They call them scabs, which is like using the N-word as far as I'm concerned. In economic terms, they they uh, they shut them out. That's who the enemy is. Come on, all you people working out there, wake up. You know, management often likes unions, too, because it, it, can, it can actually give them a better deal than they'd otherwise get. Um, Jeffrey, well, so, to get in there, I'm waiting for go after him on oh, this compete well, for the jobs issue, because well, uh, the, the argument, the classic argument, is that it's fine to say that, but it tends to drive the wages down. Well, it does. And, and again, having said that, you know, I think that it sounds like Bob's agreeing that in a pure capitalism system that workers should be free to organize, that that's just another of the dynamics that occur where you've got this power imbalance. It can be somewhat redressed by this other power that comes in to sort of balance it out. Fundamentally, though, I think that uh, an issue that, that that has interested me as a lawyer, because I remember taking in law school the concept of corporations, and we, we take corporations for granted. We assume they've always been around. Well, corporations were created, at least uh, the, way, the way that I was taught, as a way of essentially minimizing liability. If, if people wanted to do business, they could establish a corporation which would be liable rather than the people being liable personally. The other big feature of corporations was it allowed uh, the accumulation of capital because you could issue shares rather than just borrowing money and that way you could have larger enterprises, Hudson Bay Company type stuff. And one of the the problems over time I think is that we've come to associate corporations as being an entity in and of themselves that has, that have rights. We talk now about how corporations have civil rights. There have been a number of cases in the United States where they've said corporations have these rights under free trade they do. But a corporation in and of itself has no uh, morality. It has no values. A corporation, at least to, again, according to my t- teaching or the, the, the goal of the people who run corporations is to maximize shareholder value. That is to make as much money as they can. Mm-hmm. That's their only goal. Whereas I, I hope that as a civilization, our leaders, the leaders of our society have broader goals. They want to try and have a society that has a good quality of life for people that's sustainable. Uh, there are all kinds of other moral values that we as a people have that corporations, by definition, and they are, they're an artificial legal 
construction. They just don't have. Uh, and there's a, a movie going around that I haven't seen right now called The Corporation. I don't know if you've heard about that. Yes, I haven't seen it either, uh, but I've heard it. Yeah. They, they uh, talk about the attributes of this or organization and say, you know, we've got this organization that's just out to make money, that doesn't care about the environment, doesn't. and they have some psychiatrist who says, well, I'd call that a sociopath. You know, it's somebody who just is not interested in, in the if welfare you believe of the it, I don't believe it for a second. I work for a large corporation, and you want to talk about a conscience, they're light years ahead of you. And they wouldn't do well, anything they may or may not tarnish based on their, their image in any sort of we've certainly seen lots and lots that have not and i think that one of the difficulties is that again the people who run corporations are our civic leaders they're the they're the leaders of our society and sometimes the the fact that there's a corporation that they can sort of um, do business behind i think makes it easier for them to do things that would have mortified them if it were known out in public i tend to agree with you on that point and corporations under current socialist legislation have become fronts for all sorts of things i don't think corporations should have a right to give money to a political party as a separate entity. I don't think corporations should be, uh, you know, of course they don't have a right to vote. But aren't they, far, aren't they furthering, as you said earlier, they should have a right to further their economic interests? It is furthering their economic interests uh, to support a political party. The people in the corporation can, but corporations don't vote. Therefore, the political process isn't open to an organization. Otherwise, I'd, I'd, I'd form uh, a thousand corporations and vote a thousand times which is, by the way, how they give money to political parties. One person can have a whole bunch of corporations and give a whole bunch under different corporate names to a political party, so it really comes from one person. I want to come back now to that. I would not support, but that is not doesn't speak to capitalism. Okay, we ha I, have to, I have to ask, nope. pause for a second because Ryan's waving at us. We have okay. to stop for some important <laughs> messages because this is a capitalist uh, system in which we operate, and this is certainly a capitalist radio station. Uh, we will be back in a moment or two with more Left, Right, and Center. Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz with us on Left, Right, and Center, talking about the article in the paper, the very provocative article by Peter Riley. Uh, and he says here, uh, Peter says, he's talking about uh, being a little uncomfortable with what he re refers to as a tide towards hard-right conservatism. He says, I want to live in a world in which it's okay to be, quote, poor but happy. I am, he says. I want to live in a world where people such as Bill Gates with his multi-billions are held to scorn, where truly excessive wealth is regarded as an obscenity. How do you guys react to that? Well, I think Bill Gates would probably agree with him, interestingly enough. I don't I, think so, and I, I think, think that opinion uh, was obscene. Read Reading on the weekend about uh, Andrew yeah. Carnegie, who uh, was this very—he was the Bill Gates of his day, the wealthiest man in America. You know, started U.S. Steel, and uh, ended up giving most of his money away. He uh, he himself said that the man who dies wealthy dies disgraced. And uh, you know, we've we've got uh, Carnegie libraries all over North America mm -hmm. that he's on uh, Carnegie Hall. Uh, you know, Carnegie Foundation, one of the first large foundations. Now he was a heck of a tough businessman apparently yes. in life and he was uh, uh, he was tough on his employees he was tough on everybody uh, same with um, uh, Rockefeller John D. Rockefeller mm -hmm. said again just a very tough nut throughout his life but then and he was always fervently Christian but he ended up setting up the Rockefeller um, Foundation I think uh, again giving huge amounts of money away and there's this idea of noblesse oblige that, that is interesting and the idea that uh, if if you are successful that you should give something back and, and I, I think that uh, even Bob would agree that as as long as you're not being forced to give it back, I think people, some people, resent the idea that you're forced to pay well, should, would, huge taxes. Would but if we, you want to give it, yeah. But would we be better off to live in a world where people like Bill Gates are held to scorn because he's got all that money? I think the idea is that's an evil, evil, evil thing to say. To t to say that because a person has made it affordable for me to put an incredible, powerful machine on my desk for a thousand bucks, <laughs> you know, that I should hold that person in scorn. Just because he earned his money and marketed something that we all bought. I think, I just can't lower myself to that level of envy and bitterness. I just cannot. And, and 
and to suggest for a minute that 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 competition drives wages down uh, remember that if it does that, it also drives prices down. So uh, all other things being equal, what you want to do is get production ahead of the cost of living. And how you do that is to have capital. Capital is what drives wages up. Milton Friedman illustrated this incredibly, what, what happened after World War II. The two, two countries that took to, two totally different stances in, I think it was the weaving industry or something, mm-hmm. silk. Japan and India. After the war, Japan modernized and became very capitalistic. And one person on a loom could put out, I forget how many garments an hour, right? And you could sell those garments at, at whatever the market price was. In India, they, they were going to protect the family, the family business until they passed laws. And therefore, he showed all, and he, Milton Freeman went right there. He showed them to you. He said, now here's all these Indian women working in their homes. It takes, takes them months to do one of these things. And they still have to sell it at the world price. That's why they're poor, because they don't have capital. They don't have the machinery. Capital is machinery. Capital is know-how. Capital is buildings. And without capital, we would all be as poor as church mice. Well, capital is the accumulation of the uh, of the wealth of the planet that we found ourselves in, and the value added in our brain power and in our labor. Uh, Incorrect. So that's certainly Incorrect. True. You're talking about raw resources. That's not no, wealth. I, I start, Something I start, is not wealth well, until wait, a human uh, being. Bob, touches wait a minute. It. Just because you can talk over me doesn't uh, mean that you're right. In this case, I started by saying it is the value of the planet we found ourselves on, with the value added of the labor we've added and our brain power, the way that we've been able to manipulate what we found here on this planet to our advantage. And and uh, again, from my perspective, I don't think he's saying that there's anything wrong with inventing a better way to do things but i think in our society that most people would agree that we put a we put a, a huge premium on wealth and the accumulation of wealth that wealthy people are held uh, as generally being you know our finest people and i think what i would take from what he's saying is that there are other things in life than accumulating wealth and that sometimes maybe are, we get away point? we get away from uh, the important things in life and trying to have a society where our leaders encourage us to pursue happiness through our families and so on because we are faced with so much advertising every day with every day it's all about how have you accumulated wealth and and again i think that that he he maybe shouldn't be saying it about Bill Gates because I personally agree with you that Bill Gates is somebody who I think has been fairly paid for for providing astonishing value to the planet. The people that bother me are the Enrons, the people who don't provide value but go out and cheat and steal their way to the top. Even yeah. even Martha Stewart, I would oh. say, has provided value to the planet. Well, she's worth everything that she uh, that she's been paid. Uh, so I don't have a problem with that. But, but, but we've certainly we've seen a lot of problems with manipulation with people who have become wealthy without adding value to the planet. You know, you said there's more to life than accumulating wealth. Yes, that's because we live in a society where we allow people to accumulate wealth. Oh, yeah. If there wasn't the Bill Gates, I couldn't be happy and poor. That's right. If I our, couldn't if be if happy and poor. If basic needs are not met, then we can't a, even think about happiness. I, I make my living using computers. Period. I don't even have to leave my desk. I can stay at home if I but want. Are you, you know? happy? Are we happier now than we were a century uh, ago? It was a lot better than working in some of the factories. Oh, I think, I well, that's in. true. I, I agree. think we're a lot I happier agree. than we were. You know what I mean? And, and so for anyone to suggest we should hold a person or any people or any organizations or any system that, that allows this marvelous miracle that has happened for the first time in the history of mankind in the past 100 or 200 years and to hold the, this whole thing in scorn, that speaks to a, to a problem that runs so deep in society that it really worries me. And I think if you find out what's motivating that, you'll, you'll solve half the problems of the world. Gentlemen, I thank you both. Uh, intriguing and thought-provoking as always.